Oh, that my ways were made so direct that I might keep your statutes. Then I should not be put to shame when I regard all your commandments. I will thank you with an unfeigned heart when I have learned your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Let us pray together. Dear God in heaven, as we do each week, we ask you to join us here this morning and we trust that you are here in our midst. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please sit. Welcome, friends, to week two of our series on the romantic failings of your pastor. Now... Before you get too worried, I'm married to the fourth girl that I ever asked out on a date, so this series can't go on forever. Take comfort. Uh, Last week, we discussed my first ever attempt to ask a girl out on a date. My children have been gleefully bringing Jeff Carter, the guy she actually wanted to go out with, up to me all week. Today, I'm going to tell you about number three. Now, this took place in college. Either just before I met Aya, or during that dark time when she was dating, gasp, someone else. So I was working at McDonald's at the time, and I was infatuated with one of my co-workers. And so, of course, for weeks and weeks, I did absolutely nothing about it. But then one night, I'd had enough of myself So I went into the bathroom and literally started talking to myself in the mirror. I know this seems like it only happens in movies. I literally did this. Looking at myself in the bathroom mirror, I said, You can do this. She likes you. Go over there and ask her out. She was working that night. So I got myself all amped up. And I got on my bike and rode over to the McDonald's rehearsing all the way over. The simple yet cool way that I would ask her out on a date. I parked the bike, got in line at the register at which she was working, and waited for my turn. Finally, the time came. It was there, my moment. Oh, hi, Nick. What do you want? And what did I say? What did I do with the opportunity totally teed up for me like that? Well, I'll tell you what I said. Um... A double quarter pounder with cheese, no onions, and a large fries. And she got me my food, and I slunk off to a corner to drown my sorrows in all beef patties and french fried potatoes. So, what happened? Well, it's pretty simple, actually. At some point, between the bathroom mirror and the McDonald's cash register, my statement to myself went from... She likes you, you can do this, to she probably doesn't like you, you can't do this. The confidence that I had at the beginning faded away by the climactic moment. Now you may never in your life have suffered such an indignity at a McDonald's, but you know what I mean. Right? It's that tough conversation that you psych yourself up for only to totally blow it in the moment. It's the way you promise yourself that you're never going to make that mistake again, only to find yourself trapped in the same vortex of failure over and over. 
And this is a totally human story, a story that we find ourselves living through again and again. It's the story of self-critique, of self-judgment and letdown. It's the story of the law. And it's also the story that the psalmist is trying to relate in Psalm 119 that we read from this morning. Now remember that the psalms are like songs or poems, so they're not going to get directly to the point. A little poetic license is required, but what a poem this is. Listen to how the psalmist opens. Happy are they whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are they who observe his decrees and seek him with all their hearts, who never do any wrong, but always walk in his ways. You laid down your commandments that we should fully keep them. The law of the Lord is great, he says. The people who obey it, who never do any wrong, are so happy. I'm going to be one of those people. You can picture him standing at his bathroom mirror. You can do this. She likes you. The psalmist starts off so optimistically, doesn't he? Everything looks good. There's the law, the decrees of God, the commandments, and we're going to obey. But then, pretty quickly, things start to go awry. I remember signing up for an astronomy class in college. Easy A, right? Look at some stars, maybe name some constellations, bada bing, bada boom, pump up the old GPA. But then, on the very first day of class, when the professor started writing mathematical equations on the chalkboard that were several feet long and literally involved no numbers, it was all letters and symbols and the speed of light and time, and oh man, I knew immediately that I was in way over my head. What had started with such optimism was now becoming a real problem. So too for the psalmist with the law of God. Listen to how he continues. Things begin to get uncertain. Oh, that my ways were made so direct that I might keep your statutes. Then I should not be put to shame. When I regard all your commandments, I will thank you with an unfeigned heart when I have learned your righteous judgments. You hear it, right? Oh, that my ways were made so direct that I might keep your statutes. In other words, oh, how I wish my ways were direct. How I wish I was doing the right thing. Then I could keep your statutes. Then... I should not be put to shame. I will thank you with an unfeigned heart when I have learned, when I have internalized, when I can do your righteous judgments. For now, though, my heart is feigned. It's faking, pretending. If I'm being totally honest, says the psalmist, I'm not really that thankful for your law right now. When I was psyching myself up in the bathroom mirror, everything seemed great. Happy are they whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. But now I'm starting to have second thoughts. It's like the shift in the middle of Jurassic Park, right? 
All the wonder and awe are gone. The sweeping John Williams score has faded away, and it has started to rain. The Tyrannosaur is out. And all of a sudden, God's law doesn't sound so wonderful. All of a sudden, we're starting to wonder if we should be happy. After all, our way is not blameless, is it? We haven't walked in the way of the Lord today or yesterday or last week, have we? We can't, even on our best days, claim to have never done anything wrong. And so we come to Psalm 119, verse 8, which is a long way from verse 1. Remember where we started. Verse 1, happy are they whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. The sun is shining, John Williams is playing, the Tyrannosaur is safely in his pen, and John Hammond is talking about how much money we're all going to make. But where do we end up? Verse 8, I will keep your statutes Do not utterly forsake me. This is a cry for mercy. This is begging. This is terror. I'll do anything you want. Please be merciful. The law has now done its work. It has shown us our sin, shown us our true nature, and we are terrified. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. The law of God is a tyrannosaur. St. Paul says almost exactly that in Romans chapter 7, verse 9, when he says, I was once alive apart from the law. When the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. If he'd seen Jurassic Park, he might have written, When the law got out, I found I couldn't control it and it ate me alive. But later in the same chapter, he has good news for we who have been eaten alive by the law. Who will deliver me, he cries, from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, my Lord. We who were killed by the law are now alive again in Christ. When we begin, we are optimistic about ourselves. You can do this, we think. We're like that rich young man that we read about a few weeks ago who told Jesus that he'd been keeping the law since he was a child. Happy are they whose way is blameless, he might have said, like me, who walk in the way of the Lord. But Jesus knows better. He lets the law out of its cage. He releases The tyrannosaur. Sell all you have, he tells the man. Give the money away. Come, follow me. This week, in our reading from Mark chapter 12, Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, not just the neighbor you barbecue with, the one on the other side, who you just can't seem to get along with, the one down the street who doesn't look like you, The one across town who is nothing like you. The one in your office who hates you. The one on your Facebook page who seems to have the exact opposite political views from you. Love them as you love yourself. 
You bet no one dared ask him any more questions. They were all cowering in fear. The Tyrannosaur had been released. And we, like the psalmist, transition pretty quickly from happy are they whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord, to I'll keep your statutes, do not utterly forsake me. And we are not utterly forsaken. Our cry is answered. And not because we've given it our best shot. Not because we came closer than some of the other people in our lives. Not because we get credit for trying. We are not utterly forsaken because Christ Jesus was utterly forsaken. My God, my God. He cried from the cross, why have you forsaken me? This is why. In that great moment, God turned his back on his son, our savior, so that he would never have to turn his back on us. The skies darkened. The earth quaked. The veil of the temple was torn into the tyrannosaur of God's law was on the full rampage. But the miracle of the gospel, it devoured someone else in our place. Jesus Christ, the righteous, his body broken, his blood shed for us, for you. And for me, the psalmist, it turns out, is singing about Jesus. Happy are they whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are they who observe his decrees and seek him with all their hearts, who never do any wrong, but always walk in his ways. This is Jesus Christ, your perfectly righteous Savior. He has been forsaken for you. And on his account, you never will be. He, who was blameless, has slain the Tyrannosaur and has given his blamelessness to you. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.